Bibles with me, turn to John the 16th chapter. John chapter 16, verse 5. John 16 and 5. If you're watching at home, thank you for being with us today. Hope that you enjoyed uh, the worship time, feeling the presence of God that we're experiencing here today. Hope you enjoyed our kids singing and uh, all that good fun we had, and and the great uh, tribute we had to our God and our country. God bless America. It's July 4th weekend, and uh, I think it's a good time to remember that this this nation was founded upon the principles of God. Uh, It was founded on God, and I don't want to get too far away from that. Uh, Matter of fact, I don't want to get far away from it at all. And so let's let's remember that as we celebrate, remember uh, to thank God that he gave us the opportunity to to live in America, to have in America. John chapter 16, verse 5. By the way, we will be having service on uh, July the 4th. I know many of you are wondering, Wednesday night is July the 4th. We're going to be having church. Yes, we will be a condensed service. We're going to have lots of fun, uh, lots of cool things happening. You won't want to miss it. You'll be home before dark to fireworks and all those things. But come hang out with us and let's celebrate our God and our country a little bit on July 4th. John 16, verse 5, if you're there, say amen. Amen. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Skipping down to verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You know, much is taught about God the Father and Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Son. We're very comfortable talking and teaching on these things in, in society today, in our churches today. We, we send our kids to church and we want them to learn about Jesus. How many want your kids to learn about Jesus when you bring them to church? One parent uh, sent her, her son, little Johnny, to church. And as she picked him up that day from church, they were headed home. They got in the car. She said, Johnny, what did you learn at church today, at Sunday school today? He said, Mom, I think I've got this thing figured out. Jesus is in my heart, and Barney is on my underwear. <laughs> That's funny right there. If you don't laugh at that, you got deep sin in your life. I can tell you that right now. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the truth. We're very comfortable with God as the creator, God as the father. We're very comfortable as, as Jesus, the son, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talk about it. We teach about it. As you go from church to church to church in America, there, there's not a lot of people arguing about Jesus being the Christ. We're very comfortable with it. But I wonder if it, at times we miss the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. I wonder if we don't feel like um, in in order to emphasize Jesus, we have to de-emphasize the Holy Spirit. And we are leaving out what Jesus himself said right here in John chapter 16, that it is to your advantage that I leave so that the helper or the Holy Spirit can come to you. And we leave it out and we don't talk about it. You see, 
As I study churches and their pastors, I see where we have forgotten the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been a major source of contention and of strife in churches, not just in America today, but throughout the centuries since Jesus, since Jesus left this earth. It has divided us, the body of Christ. It has divided us. But one great thing I see in America today is that many are crossing the aisles to interact with people who believe a little differently and embrace one another. I think this is a good thing. No, rather, I think this is God's will that the church unite as one and put aside and lay aside our differences to come together to impact this world with the message of Christ. Don't you think that's a good thing? But the problem that I see is that in our efforts to come together, we have stopped teaching the truth of the Holy Spirit. We've just gone silent on the issue. And if you poll... Christians walking out of churches today across America. Not just Christians, people who call themselves Christians, but you and I both know they barely go to church on Easter. But I'm talking about Christians who go to church all the time. If you poll them right now about what, who, who or what is the Holy Spirit, most of them will have a very limited understanding. If you say, who is Jesus, they could tell you he's the son of God who died on the cross for our sins and, and ascended and went to the grave and then rose from the grave and ascended in heaven. They could probably tell you that. But when you say, who is the Holy Spirit, we would draw blanks. Most Christians know very little about the Holy Spirit. And so it's not that we believe so differently, but more importantly, we just don't know what we believe because we haven't been taught. We're fearful when we hear terms like the Holy Ghost mentioned because it, it contains and, and reminds us of stories that we've either witnessed or heard about where people were out of control doing things that we swear we would never do and don't understand, so we just push it away. But the Holy Spirit is not something that we should fear, but rather some, something that we should embrace. If I were to take this Bible and I were to hand it to you, without any religious preconceptions or presumptions, without knowing anything about Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit or the disciples or, or non-denominational or Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or Catholic or anything else, if I just took this Bible and I said, read the Word. At the conclusion of reading this Bible, specifically the New Testament, you would be convinced that the Holy Spirit is absolutely uh, paramount and fundamental to the life of every believer and the life of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You would say, how can you not know who the Holy Spirit is if you actually read the Bible? So how is it then that we as churches just don't talk about it? We talk a lot about Jesus. We talk a lot about God. And we should. Because I don't think that we have to de-emphasize Jesus in order to recognize and embrace the Holy Spirit. I think they go together. But I don't want our lack of knowledge to scare us. I'm going to begin a series today simply entitled The Forgotten God. The Forgotten God. Because I don't want what you don't know to scare you. I don't want what you don't know to confuse you. I want you to know who the Holy Spirit is and His impact and role He can make in your life. I want to build a case to, to bring clarity to uh, this this 
huge part of the Word of God who, that, that is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know in your life. I want you to have the knowledge. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? So if there are truths about the Holy Spirit with the power to set us free, but we don't know, then the power can't set us free. So I want to give you the truth that you can know it. I want you to have the tools and the biblical knowledge to live a life full of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Do you want things to happen when you pray? When you pray over your child, do you want them to get better? When, when you are praying that, that God would give you that promotion, do you want to receive it? When you are praying for direction, do you want the guidance that you're asking for? Of course we do. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. One of my favorite scriptures. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The, the power to heal, the power to do more than you can do on your own. The power to see and follow the plan that God has for you. The power to see your family receive the message of Jesus Christ and give their hearts to Him. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to build my case very slowly. I'm going to lay it out, give you a lot of scriptures, do a lot of teaching over the next few weeks. But I really believe it's going to empower you to live the kingdom life that God has for us. If you miss a week... I know that it's vacation season and many of us are out on vacation even today. I want, to, I want to encourage you to get online, get the podcast, download, watch it off the internet, uh, get a CD somehow. Stay with us because we're going to build a case week after week after week for the next three or four weeks. And we're going to build this thing up and at the end of the day, uh, you're going to know who the Holy Spirit is and the impact He, he wants to have in your life. You're not going to want to miss it. The forgotten God. I'm only going to take three or four points today. Not going to take a whole lot of time. Three or four points. We're going to build slowly. It's going to be very fundamental, but I believe it's going to impact your life. Uh, the Holy Spirit showed up in the first service today, and He's here today. He wants to touch your life. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? If you're watching online, I want you to get still and quiet, get some notes ready, get ready to receive today. Father, I thank you for your presence that's in this room. Lord, I'm asking you today to open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you. And to be challenged by the power of your word. Lord, I pray that the words of this Bible would come alive to us. That we could see and understand and know. Father, I pray that all fear, misconceptions, uh, lack of understanding would be put to the side. Lord, and I pray today that you would fix the mess up in my words. That you would fix my shortcomings in my communication. So that, Father, every person in this room and watching online or listening wherever they are, driving down the road, wherever they are, Lord God, could come to understand who the Holy Spirit is, what He wants to do for their lives. I thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> three or four quick points today. I may not get to all four, but we'll at least get to three. We're going to put them on the screen because I want you to get them uh, in your spirit. Here's the first point that I want you to know today. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. We say, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, I got it. He's not an it. He's a he. In these verses, we see, and I want you to look back here, because we're going to see in these uh, verses of John, at work... We're going to see all three parts of the Trinity, the triunion of the Godhead, three parts in one. 
three persons in one God. Here we're going to see them. Okay, I've already talked to you about two of them. Jesus the Son, God the Father. Here they are. Now, first of all, uh, how many of you are reading a Bible that has red letters in it? Okay, lots of you are. If you don't have a red letter edition, I encourage you to get one. It will help you understand your Bible. And the, and the Bible, you need to be able to understand the Bible so the Bible can help you. So uh, re- get your red letter edition so you know when Jesus is talking. These words uh, in, in John chapter 16, it's all Jesus. Jesus is doing the talking. So we see one part of the Godhead, Jesus the Son, the Christ. Then we see in verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. As you read these verses, you understand that Jesus is talking about someone else now. I'm going to him. Who is him? Him is God the Father. You often hear Jesus say things like, uh, I only do what I see my Father do or say what I only hear my Father say, right? I have the all authority given to me by my Father. So Jesus is clearly showing us that there is Jesus the Son and God the Father. We see them both in this verse. But now we skip down to verse 7 and we see something else. He says, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Notice there that helper is capitalized. When the Bible was printed, those who wrote it and printed it for us, in in pretty much all versions, do something to really help us understand and read the Bible. Any uh, noun or pronoun that refers to God is always capitalized. Because if you see here, if you just were to say, uh, the helper will not come to you. If you were building a home and you needed some help, and, uh, and I were to say to you, the helper is coming to you. Helper would not be capitalized, would it? Go back. Remove the cobwebs. Go back to, to middle school and high school. Helper would not be capitalized, right? But if I say to you, The helper will not come to you, but I'm referring to God. Now, in the Bible, when it's printed for us to help us understand who he's talking about, helper is capitalized so that we know he's talking about God or the Holy Spirit. So in this, we see something very unique. The helper is not an it, but it is a he. Let's look down at verse 13. We're going to drive the point home a little bit further. Verse 13, he calls him the spirit of truth. Watch this. I'm going to emphasize a word, and it's going to help us to get this point across. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Do you get the point? Jesus is helping to drive something home to us. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. Now you say, Pastor Randon, why is that important? I got it. The Holy Spirit is a he. Here's why that's important. Because if we relegate the Holy Spirit to an it, we can relegate him to an experience. An experience which we can accept or deny whatever we choose. We can take a piece of it and leave the rest because it's an it. It's a thing. 
It, if we relegate him to an it or a thing, we can control it or use it how we want to. We can make it controversial or we can just leave it behind altogether. When we, but when we recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person, then we get the whole deal. We recognize that it's a personality. He, he has an identity. He has a name. It, he is the Spirit of God at work in the earth today. When we recognize that the Holy Spirit is more than just an it, but He is a person. you got to know this. You wouldn't be saved without the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't know God without the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't be led or guided without the Holy Spirit. He is not an experience. He is God. You go to, next year I want to take my kids to Disney World. And uh, I won't be riding them, but my wife will be taking them on lots of roller coasters. I don't do roller coasters. I find no fun in my stomach being in my throat. I just don't understand it, but many do. Uh, but riding, uh, what's that one you always ride, something mountain? Space Mountain. Riding Space Mountain is an experience. But you can take it or leave it. She'll ride it. I'll sit on the side acting like I'm taking care of the kids. No, no, no. I ain't riding that thing. I can act like I'm being humble and say, go enjoy yourself. I'll suffer over here and, and, and watch the purses. No, no, no. I ain't riding that thing. Because it's, it's an experience that I don't want. God is, the Holy Spirit is not an experience like Space Mountain. The Holy Spirit is God. But we tend to reject what we don't know or understand. When you don't know something, we just say, no, 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 thanks. Now, there are a few people out there that are, that are risk takers in life and they love to try the unknown. My son is, and daughter are not those type people for the most part. When it comes to, for instance, with my son, when it comes to eating, there was a time in his life where he ate five things and five things only. Pancakes, bananas, Chicken McNuggets, macaroni and cheese, and who? Peanut butter and jelly. That was the five things. I almost forgot them. Five things. That's all he would eat. And you would try to give him something that you know is, I'm not trying to feed him broccoli. I'm not trying to feed him spinach. I'm just trying to give him to eat something besides uh, just something. No, no. I don't like that. Have you ever tried it? No. No then how do you know? <laughs> Have you ever said that to your kids? I don't like it. How do you know? I just know. And this is what we do with the Holy Spirit. Because we don't know, because we don't understand, because it's confusing to us, because it's, it's this fear of the unknown, we just say, mm, no thanks. I, I don't, I'm not going to try the Holy Spirit because I just don't get it. And God is saying, you're leaving out part of me you're not just leaving out an experience you're leaving out the Holy Spirit God the Holy Spirit is not an it but a he by the end of this series I will ask you if you would uh, like to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you decide to step out and by courage ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit you're going to be glad you did point number two Point number two, Jesus died in part for you to have the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus died so you could have the Holy Spirit. Let's listen to these verses. Jesus said, if I depart, I will send him to you. He said, if I don't depart, he won't come. Now, he uses the term here, depart, a nice, easy term. But how many of you know how Jesus departed this earth? He departed on a cross. And then he went to the grave. And then he ascended into heaven. He was not nice and cute and pretty. We can say depart. But it entails something much more gruesome. And so here's what you've got to understand. Jesus died for our sins so that we could be redeemed. And if that was all he had died for, how many of you know it would have been enough? If Jesus only died for your sins and mine, that would have been enough. But that's not all that he died for. He said, if I leave, the helper will come. I'll send him to you. But he can't come until I leave. He can't come until I die and then ascend into the heavens. He can't come until I'm gone. But Jesus said this. Listen, guys, you have to understand something. I'm willing to die for it because it's to your advantage that I go. They were sad when Jesus said he was leaving. And wouldn't you be if the Son of God was walking with you every single day in the flesh, 100% God and 100% man, and he was walking with you and calming storms and feeding the 5,000 and raising people from the grave and healing the blind eyes and preaching the gospel and everything. It was just, it would have been absolutely amazing. Wouldn't you be sad if Jesus said he was leaving? Of course you would. But Jesus knew something they didn't. And he knew something that we often miss. He said, it's to your advantage that I go. It's to your advantage that I go. It's going to be better for you if I go. Yes, I am God. But I'm going to send God in another form. And it's going to help you out even more. It's going to be better for you. It's to your advantage. I think to myself... What is it in my life that I want my children to have so badly that I'm willing to die for? This is the question that Jesus answered for himself. He said, I'm willing to die for your salvation. I'm willing to go to the whipping post for your healing. But I'm willing to go through all of it so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Think about that. What in your life are you willing to die for that your kids could have? Well, you know, on July 4th, we're reminded of all the people who died for our freedom. They died so their children, so that you and I could have freedom. I'm so grateful for that. For every man who served uh, that is in the room today, or woman who has served uh, our country, thank you so much for your sacrifice, for your willingness to lay down your life that we could have our freedom. But Jesus made the same decision. He said, I'm going to do it so that you could have salvation and so that the Holy Spirit could come. I want you to think about that. Jesus died so you could have the Holy Spirit. Let's go to point number three. Are you okay out there this morning? If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, so do I. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed, this is John the Baptist speaking now, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Watch here now. He 
will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, I'm baptizing you with water, but there is another coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He, he's going to do things that I can't do. It's going to be incredible. So my question is, if I'm John, I know that God spoke to me and he said, baptize people, but you're preparing the way for another one to come who's going to baptize with fire, with the Holy Spirit. So you're baptizing in water, but you're preparing the way for one to come who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. My question then, if I were John, would be this. How do I recognize him when he walks through the door? If my purpose in the life is to prepare the way for one person, wouldn't you want to know when that person walked into your life? John gives us the answer in chapter 1, verse 33. I did not know him. Notice, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, here's how you're going to recognize him. Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Watch this now. John, you're going to baptize people with water? And then you're going to baptize someone with water, but that one's going to be greater than you, that man, because he's going to stand up and he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes, this is your whole life's purpose. Great, I got it, God. How do I recognize him? Here's how you'll recognize him. Upon whom you see, we're going to come back later in this series to study this word see. You can see the Holy Spirit when it descends on a person's life. It's visible. So when you see the Holy Spirit descending, but something different, and remaining, this is He. So when you, this introduces a new term now. This is introducing uh, something totally new into the Bible now. Because now, John says, God spoke to me and said, when you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining, you'll know He's the one. He is the Christ. Okay. Breakthrough term. Descending and remaining. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit didn't just appear in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has been there from the beginning. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God said, let us make man in our own image. He's referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all three were there present at creation. So the Holy Spirit has been active and present throughout the, the Old Testament. I don't know if you knew that or not. The Holy Spirit was there throughout the whole Testament, but Old Testament. But here's how it worked. The Holy Spirit would descend upon a man for a moment to do something beyond his natural ability, but then it would leave him. The Holy Spirit never descended and remained in the Old Testament. Uh, you may remember in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, uh, in the New King James Version, Saul is, is about to be anointed king, and, and, but God's going to touch Saul. Here's what he says in verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. Saul, 
you are not a prophet. But you're going to, be, you're going to go down to this place. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit is going to descend upon you. He's going to come upon you and you're going to do things you couldn't do. You may remember the story of Elijah in, in 1 Kings around chapter 18 and 19 where Elijah is going up against 450 prophets of Baal. Now they're false prophets. 450 of them. But you know, you need to know something about this and, and, and this is not really about our sermon today. But it doesn't matter if you're going up against one false prophet or 450 false prophets. If they're all false, it doesn't matter. You know the true and living God. So don't get caught up in, in how many uh, devils are coming at you. You know the God that's more powerful than all of them. One, ten, four fifty, doesn't matter. I know the true and living God. They, so these 450 prophets of Baal, they have, this, they have this, this competition, basically, to see whose God is real. The 450 prophets of Baal go first. And they set up their altars, and they're cutting themselves, and they're crying out to Baal, and they're trying to get fire to fall, and nothing happens. Why? Because they're praying to a false god. Nothing was going to happen. One man, Elijah, steps up. He fixes his altar. He covers it in water. And he steps back. And he prays. And in verse 38, the Bible says, Then the fire of the Lord fell. It wasn't there. And then it fell. Because this is the way of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit falls or descends or comes upon a man. But in, in chapter 19, the first Kings, the next story. Th this is one of the greatest victories in the Old Testament that Elijah has. But in the next chapter, you find Elijah up underneath the tree, hiding from Jezebel, praying that God would take his life. Kill me now. I'm scared for my life, and Jezebel will torture me, and it will be horrible. Just go on and take me now, Jesus. Go on and take me now, God. Why? Because the Spirit had lifted from him, and now he was just a normal man. The chapter before, he's facing down 450 prophets of Baal because the Spirit of God is upon him. But when the Spirit of God left, he's just a man, and he's running from a woman, scared for his life. This is the way of the Old Testament. We see it with David. We see it with Daniel. We see it with Ezekiel. You see it with Moses. You see it with all of them. You study the Old Testament. You see the Spirit of God comes upon a man, but then it leaves him. So, Jesus is introducing something new. The Spirit of God would come and remain. So, did it happen? John chapter 1, verse 32 and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He, remember the Holy Spirit is a He, remained upon Him. So the question is, did it happen? The answer is, yes. John said, I saw it. He came down like a dove, and He remained on Him. An old story preachers tell about a pastor who was going to illustrate this story one day. He was going to talk about how the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and remained on Jesus. So he was going to, he was going to be really creative and illustrative in his sermon that day. So he cut a hole in the roof just above where he was standing preaching on the stage. 
And he got a boy and a white dove. And he put the boy on top of the roof, just next to the hole. And he said, now son, when I say, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, I want you to throw that dove down on top of me. He said, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great illustration. They're going to really get it. So the boy climbs up on top of the roof. Worship, offering, the whole deal takes place. The pastor starts preaching. He gets to that point and he backs out. He backs up a little bit just underneath the hole and he stretches out his hands and he says, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and remained on Jesus. Nothing happened. So he said, <clears throat> he said a little louder. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and remained upon him. Little pause, and then you heard a little, the little boy from up on the roof saying, uh, Pastor, a cat ate the Holy Ghost. Do you want me to throw the cat down? <laughs> Here's the truth. Jesus changed the deal. Before Jesus, the Spirit would come upon you and then leave. But Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go. Why? Because when I go, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, now the Holy Spirit was free to descend upon us and remain. No longer do you have to go back and forth between having the Holy Spirit and not. Between walking in the power of God and not. Between seeing prayers answered and not. Between having the comforter in your life and not. Be between having the helper in your life and not. Between having a guide, between having the spirit of truth you don't have to bounce back and forth anymore because Jesus changed the deal. So now, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you can have God living in you, filling you. Paul said in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't just get a little bit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can have that relationship with God where He fills you. Where you don't have to come in and on Sunday your prayer can move mountains, but on Monday you're begging God to take you because His Spirit has left you. No, 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 no. Descending and remaining. You know, Jesus said He will guide you. The Holy Spirit has a way of bringing clarity in our lives. He has a way of looking into your situation and guiding us, helping us, comforting us, and bringing clarity. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I felt so impressed too by the Holy Spirit this, this morning. And I'm going to tell it to you uh, as well. I told it in the first service. I'm going to tell it to you again. When I was 16 years old, I... Uh, my brother-in-law, Ryan, and I went on mission trips uh, to Alaska with Teen Mania. We spent a month there. We were on separate teams, and uh, we went and really just tried to do the work of God and get people saved and preach the message of Jesus. We did a lot of things. 
we, we were anchored in a, uh, settled in a city, small city outside of Anchorage called Palmer. We stayed a few there for a few days, and, and then they put us in our teams and taught us the things we needed to know, and they sent us on what's called a village trip, and we went out for 10 or 12 days, and we went to different cities outside and around Alaska, and we preached the Word of God. It was a wonderful thing. Our team was sent to a small city called Kotzebue. If you look up Kotzebue, you'll find that it's right on the Arctic Ocean, uh, inside the Arctic Circle. It's a city that's only accessible uh, by plane. Uh, you can drive across the ice, across the Arctic Ocean in the winter. And there's about a month or so, two months of the year, when the, when the Arctic Ocean is unfrozen right there, that you can come in by boat. The rest of the time, you have to drive across the ice or you have to fly in by plane. So they were going to fly us in by plane. We got on these small planes. They were held about 15, 18 people or so. They were so small that our team had to split up on the two planes. We couldn't both get on the same plane. So we got on our plane in Anchorage there, and we took off for Kotzebue. It's the worst flight I've ever been on in my life. I've flown all over the world. I've been on more planes than I can remember. This was the worst. The plane was jumping to the right, jumping to the left, up, down, thousand foot drops it, it was very very scary the reason why is because the fog a, a fog had come all the way over the top of that part of the, of the continent and it, it was so thick and dense that the plane was struggling to fly through it and so it was shooting us left and shooting us right we made it all the way to Kotzebue and we were trying to land but the instruments weren't working properly and they, had no, they couldn't see at all so they, they couldn't land on the runway we tried two or three times and we couldn't land and we tried and we couldn't land it was very scary so finally the pilot said we're going to go back to Nome and so we flew to Nome Nome, Alaska, and we landed there. They waited a few hours. We prayed, God help us. We need to get to the city. We need to do the work of God. And after a few hours, they took both of our planes, loaded them back up, refueled, and we took off for Kotzebue again. True story. It was rough. It was just like before. We had prayed, but weren't seeing anything happening as of yet. And the pilot finally lined up for where he believed the runway was to give it one last attempt before they flew us back to Anchorage. And our team leader turned to us. He said, young people, I want you to pray right now. And so 15, 18 young people filled with the power of the Holy Ghost began to pray. In the trip, in that last trip between Nome and Kotzebue, the, the cockpit door was so rough that the cockpit door had flown open and neither the pilots nor the steward, stewardess could get up and close it. The flight attendant couldn't get up and close it because we were all locked down. It was so rough. So the, the door was just floating open. I was sitting in the back, and there were uh, seats all the way across the back. I was sitting in the middle looking down an aisle just like this in the plane, and I could see right out the front of the cockpit. In front of us and on the sides, it was total white. You couldn't see a thing. I'm looking out. The cock, and the pilots are, are, are working their deal and they're doing their instruments and they're trying and engines are going and it's loud and it's rough. And suddenly these young people begin to pray. And in just a moment, like Moses in the Red Sea, those clouds literally parted just like this. 
And with a wall of white on each side of us, they opened to see the runway stretching right out in front of us. Our pilot set the plane down. And as we landed on the runway and started to slow down, the fog engulfed us again. We went to the end of the runway. And as we turned, we looked back. And out the window, you could see the clouds parted again. And the second plane landed. And the clouds engulfed them again. True story. The power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit at work. When you pray, things happen. But I told you that story because I want you to understand something. Today, if you need clarity, if your life is a whiteout, you don't know where to go, what to do, it, nothing's making sense, you don't know what is up, what is down, what is left, what is right, you don't, you, you're lost, the Holy Spirit can bring clarity. And He can part the clouds just like He did for our plane that day. You just need to ask Him to help you. He wants to help you. You need to know this about God. You need to know this about the Holy Spirit. He wants to be involved in what's going on. Ask Him. And I believe that today the clouds are going to part in your life. Would you stand with me?